Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. What a great time it is to be a college sports fan right now. It's March. We got postseason hockey coming up. Baseball's in full swing. The women's basketball conference tournaments are ongoing right now, and we're nearing the end of the regular season in men's college basketball. We have conference championships, automatic bids being awarded this weekend. What a great time to be a college sports fan, and I can't wait to talk about it with you all. Look, there's a lot going on in the world of college sports right now, but you know where my bread is buttered, and that's men's college basketball. That's what we're going to be diving into today. As a reminder, if you like the show, subscribe to it. You can do that on Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to help us out. It'd also be great if you leave us a five-star review. So rate and review us wherever you can. And you can also find me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports. That's where I post mostly my college basketball gambling picks, but also various musings in the world of college sports. So if you like what I do here, follow me there on Twitter. I got a great show planned for you today. We are going to be diving deep into the world of men's college basketball as we approach the final weekend of the regular season. But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what caught my eye this week and what else could it be other than the Big Ten. Oh my goodness, if you are not watching Big Ten basketball right now, you are missing out because it has been quite a seven-day stretch for this league. Let's go back to last Saturday, because that's where all this madness has really started. We've had crazy comebacks. We've had buzzer beaters. We've had overtime games. And it all starts last Saturday. Iowa comes back from 13 down with under two minutes to go against Michigan State. Gets a huge win there. That game also included the Fran McCaffrey ref stare down, one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in college basketball, one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen a coach do in college basketball. But nonetheless, Iowa storms back, gets an unbelievable win, and little did we know what that would kick off over the next week. A day later, Michigan and Wisconsin, two bubble teams battling it out. Hunter Dickinson, the big man, puts up a heave at the buzzer, hits a game-tying three against the Badgers. Michigan goes on to win in overtime. Later that day, Rutgers storms back from a 19-point second-half deficit to beat bubble team Penn State. Seemed like a huge win for Rutgers at the time. Still is a huge win, but for Penn State, it seemed like eh, maybe that might be kind of a nail in the coffin on their tournament hopes, but not so fast Wednesday. Penn State gets a huge win on the road at Northwestern. Cameron Winter hits a three with less than a second left in overtime to give the Nittany Lions a 68-65 win. And that takes us to last night, 
Thursday where there were three Big Ten games, and boy, did they all deliver. First, Illinois beats Michigan in two overtimes, and this game featured not one but two comebacks. Michigan storms back from seven down with a little over two minutes left to tie the game. Hunter Dickinson was really the story of the night for Michigan. They relied on him for almost everything. I've been critical at times of of Michigan not getting him the ball enough. That was not the case last night. They relied on him nonstop, as they should have. He was the guy that carried them throughout. Dickinson gets a block at the end of the game, gets a good look at the other end at the end of regulation, but doesn't get it to fall. The game goes into overtime as the Wolverines storm back to tie it. In overtime, Michigan jumps out to a seven-point lead, but Illinois was not done yet. With just under two minutes to go, the, the Fighting Illini storm back. Put some pressure D on when they were down by four. Think it threw Michigan off a little bit. They, they, Michigan was not comfortable bringing the ball up the court. The offensive foul on Dickinson. Illinois gets the ball back, and Terrence Shannon went to work. When, when Illinois was down seven, Shannon scored five points and assisted on the other basket that allowed Illinois to come back and send it to double overtime. At the end of that first overtime, Michigan's Joey Baker got a fantastic look to win the game from three. Good three-point shooter. uh, Just couldn't get it to fall. Game goes to double overtime. And in double overtime, Michigan down three. Hunter Dickinson makes a shot, gets fouled, and one. Goes to the line, misses the free throw. Then Michigan, another chance to tie it. Down three. Gets a really nice play. Really nice open look off an inbound for Joey Baker. Baker misses the three, and Michigan falls 91-87 to Illinois. An outstanding game from Hunter Dickinson. 31 points, 16 rebounds. He really did it all. Kobe Bufkin also had a really nice game for them, but the two of them combined for 54 of Michigan's 87 points. Joey Baker, tough night for him. A couple big misses in overtime. 0 for 4 from 3. And if he could have just gotten one of those to go, he might be singing a different tune this morning. A really tough loss for Michigan. And another instance where Michigan just can't execute down the stretch and get the job done. I'd be remiss if I did not call out Terrence Shannon once again for what he did in that overtime to bring Illinois back. Uh, It was... Unbelievable performance from Shannon. Got to the line 16 times. And when I watch Illinois, I I always think like, man, I just can't figure this team out. Because there are times where I am like, Terrence Shannon is unreal. He's the kind of guy who could lead you on a deep NCAA tournament run. And then there's other times where I'm like, all they want to do is shoot jumpers. But when Terrence Shannon decides he wants to get to the basket, there's not a whole lot you can do to stop him from getting to the basket. And it's a good home win for Illinois. It's a rough loss for Michigan because Michigan 
was storming back. Michigan seemed like they were going to get themselves back into that NCAA tournament picture, and they're in the picture, certainly, but that was a win that they really could have used to get themselves back into that bracket. It would have put them, a win for Michigan would have put them alone in second place in the Big Ten at 12-7, and and I think Michigan, for you know, all their trouble this year, if they could have finished alone in second place in the Big Ten, and I guess that still is possible for them. There are so many scenarios that could happen in in this Big Ten with remaining this season with this logjam of teams tied, six teams tied at 11 and eight in the conference right now. So I guess in theory, if Maryland lost to Penn State, Michigan beat Indiana, Nebraska beat Iowa, Purdue beats Illinois, and Rutgers beats Northwestern. Yes, Michigan could still be alone in second place with a 12-8 and record. However, being alone and going 13-7 and in second place, I think almost would have assured them of an NCAA tournament bid, but not the case. They, they couldn't come away with the win. And I was going to get up here today and say, look, here comes the Wolverines. This is a different team. Once the clock hits March, once we get late in February, they did it last year. They came storming down the stretch. That would have been their fourth win in a row. They had a, I don't want to call it a miracle against Wisconsin, but, you know, that Hunter Dickinson three is is not something you see every day. That shot that he hit to send that game to overtime, that would have been consecutive wins against Michigan State, Rutgers, Wisconsin, and Illinois. It would have put them alone in second place, and I would have said, watch out for the Wolverines come tournament time, but just another instance where Michigan couldn't get the job done. And I'm at the point with Michigan where, look, I think they can still make the tournament. I don't see any reason they can't beat Indiana in Assembly Hall. It will be a tough game, but it's something they're capable of doing. I could see them going on a run in the Big Ten tournament, winning a couple games, getting to a semifinal or, or even a championship game, which would certainly help their cause immensely as they try to get in this NCAA tournament. But if they don't make it, they have nobody to blame but themselves. The biggest thing holding Michigan back right now is a 3-10 and record in quad one games. To me, there is nothing more important when evaluating a bubble team or evaluating any team from a seeding perspective than how did you perform against the best of the best. Because the NCAA tournament is all about the best of the best. It's the best going against the best. And if you are not performing well against the best of the best, then I don't have a lot of sympathy for you if you get left out. 3-10 and in Q1 games and Quad 1 games, that's the big red mark on Michigan's resume right now. And that's why I will not feel sorry for them at all if they get left out. They have, they have nobody to blame but themselves. They've had the opportunities. It's not like you can sit there and say they haven't had opportunities to win these games or to play these games. They, they certainly have, but they've let them slip away. This Illinois game in double overtime was just another example of that. They've had so many games like that this year, but they have more opportunities. They have Indiana on Sunday. They have the Big Ten tournament, and we'll see what happens here. I mean, if Hunter Dickinson, if, if, if Michigan keeps getting Hunter Dickinson the ball the way they have the last couple games, then 
I, I like what they can do. The thing that will always scare me about Michigan is that they really don't have a point guard. Kobe Bufkin playing great at the shooting guard spot, but I tend to think they just have a hole at the point guard spot right now, and it's hard for me to trust any team in the tournament that has a hole in the point at the point guard spot. Moving on to the other games last night in the Big Ten, because I said this was not just this one game. This was a whole week of games. Another, what now looks to be a bubble team, Rutgers blows a big one on the road against Minnesota, the last place team in the conference. Rutgers was a team all year that at one point we were talking about, is this a, the second best team in the league? Is this a team that could go to a Sweet 16, Elite Eight? And boy, oh boy, has the month of February been rough for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. They took four losses in the month of February, now 0-1 in March, and it seems like this team kind of peaked at the wrong time. They had a big lead on Minnesota. They were up 10 with just over a minute to play in the game, and they lose on a Jamison battle buzzer beater, a huge loss for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, and I think this really now squarely puts them on the bubble. If you look at bracket matrix, let's see, I think Rutgers is a nine seed right now, but in Jerry Palm's bracket that was updated on on Friday morning, Rutgers is an 11 seed and they are playing in the first four out. In fact, there's three Big Ten teams in the first four out. Michigan, Penn State, and Rutgers, according to Jerry Palm. And Penn State was involved in the, I'm sorry, Wisconsin, rather, was involved in the third game last night. Wisconsin, another team in the Big Ten that is battling for their NCAA tournament lives, hosting hosting Purdue, a chance to pick up a huge win over what is projected to be a number one seed as of right now, the outright Big Ten champion. They could have picked up an absolutely monster win, and they fall just short against the Boilermakers. Uh, Wisconsin in that game, you know, I it felt like a last gasp effort for the Badgers. They did everything they possibly could to try to win that game. They were unbelievably hot from deep. 10 to 24 from beyond the three-point line. That's something you've got to do. I mean, you're a team like Wisconsin. you got to be hot to beat Purdue. But then they also did a lot of what everybody has tried to do against Purdue, which is put some pressure on their guards forced turnovers, Purdue turned the ball over 12 times, and Zach Eady, an extremely efficient night, 17 points on 7 of 9 shooting, but only 9 shots for the big man. So it felt like Wisconsin did everything they could possibly do to come away with that win, and they couldn't quite get it. Might be a last gasp effort for the Badgers, but what a week for the Big Ten. There is no league right now where... These teams are so, where teams are as evenly matched as the Big Ten, and that's why you have these comebacks. That's why you have these buzzer beaters. That's why you have these overtime games. And look, we are going to do a ton of conference tournament talk, conference tournament previewing early next week. But for my money right now, 
I don't think there's any place I'd rather be next week than Chicago at the United Center for the Big Ten tournament. I mean, I'm looking at a scenario here for the Big Ten tournament where on Thursday in what's referred to as the second round, so you have four games starting with the 8-9 game, you could have an 8-9 game starting at 11 a.m. That's Illinois against Northwestern. Then you could have an Ohio State-Michigan game or a Nebraska-Michigan game in a 12-5-13-5 matchup. You could have a rematch of Maryland-Penn State in the 10-7 game and then finish the day with Wisconsin-Rutgers in a, in a bubble matchup. I mean... Wisconsin and Rutgers, whoever wins wins that game gets a nice quality win. Whoever loses that game has to feel like they just got passed by another team they're fighting with for an NCAA tournament bid. Penn State and Maryland, you know, look, I, I feel good about where the Terps stand right now, but if Maryland were to lose to Penn State on the road this weekend and then lose to them again in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, I, I might start getting at least a little bit nervous. I, I'd still feel like Maryland was pretty solidly in, but you'd never want to lose three straight games to end the year, and that's what Maryland would be facing. On the flip side for Penn State, that would be another big win, a quad one win, as they're fighting for their tournament lives. So that scenario could shake out that bracket I kind of just laid out there. It's basically what would happen if every team that was favored to win this weekend per Ken Palm actually ended up winning. And that's just Thursday. That's just the second round matchups. In the quarterfinals, the next day on Friday, you'd be looking at potentially a Purdue, either Northwestern or Illinois game in Chicago. I didn't even mention the fact that Northwestern Illinois is in Chicago. The two Big Ten schools in the state of Illinois playing in the first round, in the first game on that Thursday, or sorry, the second round, the first game on Thursday. And then the winner gets to take on number one Purdue. Purdue, outside of Northwestern, Purdue, distance-wise, is the closest school to Chicago. There's going to be a huge number of Purdue fans there. Purdue, Illinois, and the United Center. Are you kidding me? That place would be rocking. Then you could have Michigan versus Michigan State. In-state rivalry, Michigan fighting for their tournament lives. We've talked about where they stand. And then in the night session, the winner of Penn State, Maryland versus Iowa. I think Maryland and Iowa play two of the more appealing brands of basketball in this conference. I think that would be an unreal up-and-down game. Again, fighting for tournament seating. Maryland and Iowa, both both teams right now that are, that are fighting for seeding. Iowa, per bracket matrix, an eight seed. Maryland, a seven seed. I think you really want to stay off that eight line. Nobody wants to play an eight-nine game. Nobody wants to play a one seed in the second round of the tournament. So I think you're really, both teams would really have desperation there. And then to end the night, it could be it would be an Indiana versus either maybe Rutgers, maybe Wisconsin, maybe Minnesota, probably not Minnesota. They're the clear bottom, bottom feeder in the league. But either Indiana versus Rutgers, Indiana versus Wisconsin, again, a huge chance for Wisconsin or Rutgers to get themselves a Q1 win and make themselves feel better about their odds to make the tournament. So there's a lot at stake there. And that doesn't even take into account just seeding for Indiana, 
Purdue trying to cling to a number one seed, and of course, just winning a Big Ten tournament championship, a super meaningful thing. So for my money, there is nowhere I'd rather be next week than the United Center, Chicago, Illinois, for the Big Ten tournament. Quite a week in the Big Ten, and quite a lot at stake for the Big Ten as we head into the weekend. If we look at the weekend just in the Big Ten a little bit, man, Sunday is going to be a day. The Big Ten, I like how they did this. They only have one game on Saturday. It's Michigan State, Ohio State. And then the rest of the weekend's games are all on Sunday. The Big Ten is going to own Sunday with some monster matchups because there are so many things that can still happen as far as Big Ten seeding is concerned. I mentioned there's a six-way tie for second place, and then there's Michigan State, who is right behind the the rest of that group. They're tied with that second-place group in the loss column. They have eight losses, but they're 10-8 and rather than 11-8 and because they had the one game that was canceled and will not be made up. So on Sunday in the Big Ten, you kick the day off at noon. Maryland travels to Penn State, 12.30. Illinois goes to Purdue. Two, Iowa hosts Nebraska. And Iowa, if, if they win that game, I, I believe no matter what happens, well, not sure. There's so many scenarios. But I believe it's, it's very likely if Iowa wins, they will be the number two seed in the Big Ten tournament. I'm not sure if there are any scenarios where they would not be the number two seed. I think it's it's almost assured that they would be the number two seed, but I can't commit to that because there are just so many different scenarios out there. Very likely, Iowa would be the number two seed with a win. Then we head into the afternoon. Indiana hosting Michigan Assembly Hall. We talked about this game a little bit. That's 4.30 on CBS. And for a nightcap, two 7.30 games, Rutgers hosting Northwestern, a must-win game for Rutgers. They cannot continue this slide after losing that game to Minnesota. And then Wisconsin playing rival Minnesota. Minnesota just knocks off Rutgers. Wisconsin cannot lose that game. I think that would be a deal-breaker if they were to lose that game. So you got six games on Sunday. Big Ten will take center stage. There's still so much to be decided as far as a as the seeding is concerned in the Big Ten tournament, as far as bubble implications in this Big Ten. What a week for the Big Ten, and what a week still to come in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is the thing that has caught my eye this past week and what I'm going to be paying really close attention to over the next week. Now let's go back to the future a little bit. All right, everybody. I'm here. I'm here to own up to it. Tough, tough year on the futures for me. I was really excited about A&M, the potential of Texas A&M playing Alabama on Saturday at home for a chance to earn that 26-1 to A&M to win the conference bet. However, that's a loser along with Tennessee. I had Tennessee to win the league as well. That's a big loser. Providence to win the Big East, that's a loser. Kansas State to win the Big 12 at a half unit, that's a loser. The one thing I still have alive is Pitt at 12-1 to to win the ACC. I do have another loser in the ACC. That's UVA. Uh, I got them at plus 160. 
and they can still tie for the league. They can win a share of the of the league crown, but they cannot get the number one seed, which is all that matters when it comes to my bet. So from a back to the future perspective, I, I big Pitt fan this weekend, rooting for Pitt hard. Pitt in a fun matchup takes on Miami. All three teams, Miami, Pitt, and UVA, all tied at at fourteen and five in the league. UVA hosts Louisville. Will be they'll be a nineteen point favorite according to Ken Palm. And Pitt travels to Coral Gables where they take on Miami. Miami will be a, uh, roughly a five point favorite according to Ken Palm. UVA cannot earn the number one seed in the ACC tournament by virtue of losing head to head to both Pitt and Miami. They can, of course, earn a share of a, of the title with a win over Louisville. But whoever wins that Pitt Miami matchup will be the number one seed in the ACC tournament. And I am certainly rooting for Pitt because I have that 12 to 1 bet on them. My national championship bet that we've been tracking, UCLA at 15 to 1, down to 10 to 1 now. UCLA, we're going to talk about them more in a little bit. Seems like they are the team, if any, on the verge of earning a number one seed. Top two seed, probably at worst right now, seems like they would be the two seed in the Vegas regional, which would be huge for them. So, liking where I stand right now with UCLA. Uh, UCLA has been playing well recently. They are up to number two in Ken Palm. Jaime Jaquez up to number two in the Ken Palm Player of the Year ratings, ahead of Trace Jackson Davis, just behind Zach Eady. So, look, holding tight on that. Uh, anytime that your money's moving in the right direction, anytime the odds are moving from 15 to 1 to 10 to 1, things are, are moving the right way. But I wanted to bring this segment back up today because I got a couple new future bets that I'm making. We are going to be talking a ton of future odds early next week when it comes to the conference tournaments. And I got a couple I want to talk about right now. So first, looking at conference tournaments, I got one conference tournament bet that I've already put in, and that is Villanova to win the Big East tournament at plus 700 on points bet, uh, one unit on that. And here's why I like this. Villanova ha- has really stepped things up the, the, the past six weeks or so, and that is no coincidence that it coincides directly with the return of Justin Moore and him really rounding into form. He came back. His first game of the year was January 29th against Providence. Took him a couple games to kind of get back into the swing of things, and then, then the Wildcats have really started this run that they've been on on Wednesday, February 8th, against DePaul. Since that day, they are 6-1 and one with their sole loss on the road to Providence, and they've been playing great defense over that time. On the year, according to Bart Turvik, they have the 107th ranked defense. But over their last 10 games, they have the 58th ranked defense, improving defensively. I like the way that Villanova is playing right now. Like they've, they've beaten Creighton. They've beaten Xavier on the road. And, and this feels like a team that's starting to round into its own a little bit. I also like the way that the draw potentially sets up for them. They're locked into the number six seed, which means they're going to play last place Georgetown in the first round. And then they are going to be on opposite sides of the bracket as Marquette 
and UConn. I think the the two best teams in the league, uh, Marquette is the conference champion. UConn, I think, is the team playing as well as any other. And uh, th- there's a good chance that Creighton will likely end up as a number four seed as well. And I think that's kind of the, the third team there. So you could have what I consider the three best teams in that league on the other side of the bracket. So Marquette, UConn, and Creighton will probably, they will all take each other out. Not There's no probably about it. If they all end up on that side of the bracket, which is very likely, they will take each other out. So Villanova would only have to beat one of those teams. Now on, on uh, the other side of the bracket, on Villanova's side of the bracket, it's very likely if they beat Georgetown, they will have Providence in their next game, and then the winner of Xavier Seton Hall. I think that is an extremely much more manageable path to a Big East tournament title than being on the top side of that bracket, where if you're Creighton, you got to play UConn in a quarterfinal game, most likely, or UConn's got to play Creighton, vice versa, and then Marquette in the semifinal. So I like the draw. I like how Villanova's been playing. And the reason I wanted to put this bet in now is because Villanova actually plays UConn this weekend at home. UConn is going to be a five-point favorite. I will bet on Villanova plus five. I think there is a, a certainly a chance that Villanova wins this game outright. And I think if Villanova wins the game outright, then those odds are going to plummet down. I want to get in now at plus 700 before that Villanova-UConn game. Now, on the flip side, if UConn wins the game, those odds might get higher for Villanova. They might get better. You might get more value. But if they get blown out, then I don't know how good you feel about Villanova going into the Big into the Big East tournament. So I'm getting my money in now. I don't think they get blown out. I think they cover plus five. I think, you know, I might sprinkle a little money line on it. But if they win that game outright, those odds are plummeting down. So I'm getting my money in now on Villanova plus 700. That is my first back to the future of the week. My second is a final four bet. So perusing the final four odds this morning, and I come across San Diego State at 28-1 to to make the final four. Now, San Diego State is very likely going to win the Mountain West Conference outright. They already clinched a share of the conference title, and they will be the number one seed in the tournament. But they lost to Boise State earlier this week. Uh, all they have to do is beat a 9-20 and Wyoming team this weekend to give them the outright Mountain West title, something that I have great confidence they will do. They are a five seed right now per bracket matrix, and I'm perusing these, these odds. I see San Diego State at 28-1. to Now, other teams at 28-1. to North Carolina, 28-1. to Well, that's a team that's not going to make the tournament as it stands right now. I mean, they might end up in there, but as it stands right now, they are not in the NCAA tournament. If you look at bracket matrix right now, I don't even know if they're in a single bracket. I don't even believe they are. Okay, that's not true. That's not true. They are in, excuse me, 20 of the 82 brackets. North Carolina is listed in 20 of the 82 brackets on bracketmatrix.com. They're not on Jerry Palm's bracket, the one that was put out 
updated on Friday morning by CBS Sports' Jerry Palm. They are not there. They are on 20 brackets with an average of an 11 seed. Okay, so seems weird that they would have the same odds as, as San Diego State. Iowa State, another team at 28-1, to 1, a team that is just plummeting right now. Iowa State, in the midst of a really bad run, they have lost four in a row. They've lost six of their last seven. Um, they just had a player kicked off the team, Caleb Grill, an important part of their team who was dismissed from the team. They have the same odds as San Diego State, uh, the team that is going to win the Mountain West, a league that is rated better than the ACC right now, a team that is likely going to be a five seed. Iowa State has the same odds as them. Iowa State is a six seed in bracket matrix and rapidly falling. Even better odds. 26 to one is West Virginia. West Virginia sits at 26 to one. You will win less money if you bet on West Virginia to make the final four than you would if you bet on San Diego State. West Virginia is an 11th seed right now. This seems like tremendous value on the San Diego State Aztecs. So let's talk about the Aztecs for a second. Let's talk about what I like about them. Over the last six weeks, they are the number two team in Bart Torvik's tier. They have a 9-2 and two record. They have the fifth most efficient defense and the 26th most efficient offense. They are a really good defense. San Diego State is always a good defense. They're great at defending the three, and looking back at some of their losses, particularly the Arizona loss in non-conference, where they really got blown out, Arizona got to the rim at will, uh, particularly Tubelis. Tubelis had a really big game, uh, Courtney Ramey had a big game, but Tubelis was, was getting to the rim in that game, and that is something that, that scares you but they are great at defending the three, which is always important come tournament time. They're an experienced team, senior-heavy team. Uh, this is a team that has not had a, a lot of success in the NCAA tournament in the past. I'm well aware of that. I remember a couple years ago when they played, uh, I think it was Syracuse. Yeah, it was Syracuse in the first round. They were a six seed. Syracuse was an 11 seed. I distinctly remember San Diego, San Diego State putting up a terrible three-point shooting display, 11 of 40 from beyond the arc. And, you know, this is a experienced San Diego State team, but a lot of the experience is, has, transferred, has transferred in. There are guys that were here last year that were not there two years ago. Matt Bradley, the guard who they rely most upon, uh, this is his second year at San Diego State. He's a Cal transfer. Uh, he's had a really nice year. He's really stepped up in conference play. Shot 43% from three in conference play. And he's a guy they rely on heavily. The offense is going to be the question for them. They're a balanced team. Six players between, averaging between 7 and 13 points per game. With Bradley leading the way as their leading scorer. But to me, this is a team that is playing really well. It's a team that has a signature, which is their defense. It's a team with good guards, uh, particularly Bradley is the guy they, they lean on a lot, but their their point guard, Trammell, is a solid player as well. He's another transfer, played at Seattle, transferred into San Diego State, one of the better uh, assist rate guys out there, especially in the Mountain West. So 
I like this team. I, I like what they bring to the table. I like that they're guard heavy. I like that they defend the three well. Uh, I like that they they shoot free throws well. 73% shooting free throw team. It just, you know, you never know. There's a history of San Diego State not really winning in the tournament. Under Ryan Dutcher, they've never won an NCAA tournament game, and they, they've had a lot of opportunities. But I think this team offensively is a bit better, and by a bit I mean significantly better, than some of his teams in the past. In Ken Palm right now, their offense is, is number 44, 44th most efficient offense, compared to 167th last year. Now, obviously, a lot of teams had... A lot of teams were, were hurt immensely by the 2020 NCAA tournament being canceled. San Diego State, top of the list among them. That year, they had Malachi Flynn. That's a different team. That team, I think, would have gone far. Uh, I think that was clearly a second weekend team, if, if not beyond. So, uh, big chance for Brian Dutcher here. Big chance for San Diego State. At 28-1, to 1, and some of the other teams listed around them at 28-1, to 1, yeah, that's a bet on the Aztecs for me, and that'll be a fun one to track the rest of the way. All right, let's look ahead to the weekend. It's a big weekend. We got automatic bids being handled out this weekend. Four automatic bids will be handed out this weekend to the big dance. We start with the Ohio Valley Conference on Saturday, and then we have the Big South, Missouri Valley, and Atlantic Sun on Sunday. One of my favorite things when it comes to conference tournament week is betting the under in conference championship games. So I've probably been doing this for about five years now. And when you have two teams that are playing their third game in three days on a neutral court, it's under time for me. It is under time for me every time. And sometimes, you know, I think it's gotten to the point where you'll see like the line, the the total may be five, seven points even less than what Ken Palm or Torvik lists it as, which is scary. And at some point it's going to drop too much and, you know, it'll flip the other way. But I think, you know, it it's all dependent on the teams and the circumstance. But I still like the concept of going under when teams are playing their third game in three days on a neutral court for the championship. So for the games this weekend, the Ohio Valley, it's a possibility we could get that. For the Big South and Missouri Valley, there will definitely be two teams playing their third game in three days on a neutral court. And for the Atlantic Sun, it's not a possibility at all. Uh, it will be Kennesaw State and Liberty, and they will be playing that game, I believe, at Kennesaw State. So that one's out in terms of, you know, if you're interested in in following me on this play. So I, I got to see, obviously, we, you know, we don't have the lines yet. We got to see which teams are in it, what the line is, how far below the projections the odds makers are setting the totals but for me this has been one of my favorite plays you know everybody loves to bet the over sometimes it's nice to bet the under if you're winning and uh this has been a, a strategy that has that i've i've enjoyed i've played for probably about five years ago five years now we'll see how far how how much the odds makers are adjusting but in general I like this play. I like this theory. Got to check it out, though. I mean, if it's 15 points under what Ken Palm projects, then I'm not going to play it. If it's five, 
I'll probably still play it. We'll see. It's all dependent. So it's something to keep your eye out for. And I'll be tweeting about that certainly over the weekend. So follow me at Gorgon Sports. Whatever I put out there, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet. Uh, other games this weekend. So games with title stakes. Uh, talked about regular season title stakes. Talked a little about the ACC already. Got that big matchup. Pitt going to Miami. Huge deal for Pitt. Huge deal for both these programs if they could win an ACC regular season title. I mean, I, I don't know if I can imagine a more compelling story than Jeff Capel winning the ACC. He has never, prior to this year, the most wins, the best conference season Jeff Capel ever had at Pitt was 6-10 and 10 in the 2021 season. He's gone 3 and 15, 6 and 14, 6 and 10, 6 and 14. I mean, he's a guy that came in very much on the hot seat. Pitt now on the brink of winning the ACC regular season title if they can get a win at Miami. How likely do I think that is to happen? I don't know. I like the way Miami's playing a lot right now. I mean, Miami has been was a super hot team, a super trendy team until they they dropped a clunker at home to a bad Florida State team last Saturday. But nonetheless, I mean, this is still a team that prior to that loss had won seven in a row. Everybody loves their guards, Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong. They're playing at home. It's not the best home court advantage in the world. Um, but I, I think they are the better team than Pitt. I'm not going to bet this one in any way. I do have that big Pitt 12 to 1 bet to win the conference. If Pitt gets up early, I might see if I can do a bit of a hedge on Miami. If it gets to like Miami, you know, even odds or plus odds on the money line, might do just a, a small hedge there to make sure I win something on that on that 12 to 1 bet. But if Pitt can get the win, it's an unreal accomplishment. And if Miami can get the win, and win an ACC title. I mean, this has been a real resurgence for Jim Laranega at Miami. When he first got there, when he left George Mason and got there, and he started in the 2011-2012 season, they had a lot of good success. They went to the Sweet 16 in his second year there. They made another Sweet 16 in, in 2016, but there was a stretch where they went 5-13 and 13 in conference, 7-13 and 13 in conference, Four and fifteen in conference. That was a three-year stretch between 2019 and 2021, where it seemed like okay, maybe this Jim Laranega thing has run its course at Miami. You know, he's getting up there in age. He's had a great career, but maybe uh, things have just run their course. Well, last year they get into the tournament as a ten seed. They go all the way to the Elite Eight, where they lose to Kansas, uh, and then they come back this year with the chance to, to win the league. And I think this would be a real kind of icing on the cake. Not that Jim Laranega needs to add anything more necessarily to his resume, but it's just another feather in his cap in an unbelievable, in an unbelievable career that he's had, you know, going back to those, those George Mason days that George Mason run to the final four. But this win if Miami can get it done, this would give Jim Laranega two of the three all-time regular season 
conference championships in Miami history. Miami's won a conference two times. They tied for the Big East championship with Syracuse in the 1999-2000 season. Both, both teams finished 13-3. and three. And then in 2013, under Larinaga, this was the, the Shane Larkin year. You might remember him from his days at Miami. Miami won the, won the regular season ACC championship outright. They also won the conference tournament. I think there would be a uh, very strong argument to be made that Jim Larinaga is the best coach in Miami men's basketball history. So this is a game that maybe is not exactly what we're used to when we talk about teams battling for the number one seed in the ACC, fighting for an ACC crown. You know, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, my dad would always say, you win the ACC, you get the number one seed in the South. Well, that's not going to be the case this year. These may not be national championship caliber teams, but this is a game that has really real meaningful stakes for these programs, a big deal for Miami and Pitt, and, and would be a big deal for UVA to tie for another ACC title as well and just continue the unbelievable run that Tony Bennett has been on. I have talked about this for a couple years now, even before we knew Coach K and Roy Williams were going to retire, and I felt like the ACC was really at this transition point where Tony Bennett has an opportunity to be the dean of coaches for the next generation of ACC coaches. I feel like he is the elder statesman in that league. He is the best coach in that league. I don't even think that's debatable. And he has the opportunity to be Roy Williams, to be Coach K for the next generation of coaches in that league. So a different circumstance in the ACC this year, but still a, a meaningful game, meaningful circumstances. Elsewhere in the country, when we look at the mid-majors and low-majors out there, there are some other big uh, games this week with title implications. We got some things, not going to go into detail, but in the Big West, the WAC, the Ivy League, the MAC, and the SWAC, there are still regular season title implications out there. Uh, you know, Check those things out. There's a lot going on in the high majors, but there's also some interesting stuff still in the regular season in the mid and low majors as well. Okay, I want to run through a few more games really quickly. Games with bubble stakes this weekend. West Virginia takes on Kansas State Saturday. Ken Palm has West Virginia as a three-point favorite at home against the Wildcats. West Virginia, a team that, you know, I they have great computer numbers, number 24 in the net, but there's a team that's 17 and 13 overall. I think it would behoove them to get this win and not leave anything to doubt, especially heading in to the Big 12 tournament. Uh, Duke at North Carolina talked about the Tar Heels. They got to get this win. They host their rival at home. Uh, Duke will be, or Carolina rather, will be a two-point favorite per Ken Palm at home. Huge opportunity for North Carolina. I talked about them, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, maybe a week and a half now, where I said they had four games left. It was Notre Dame and Florida State on the road. Those are two games they they could not lose, and they had to also beat Virginia and Duke at home. You know, Virginia, beating Virginia and Duke at home, 
doesn't quite carry the same weight that it might in a in a in another season, but it's what North Carolina has in front of them right now, and uh, it's what they need to do to at least keep their hopes alive. You know, it'd still be a quad one win. I mean, Virginia's sitting at thirtieth in the net, and the big thing for North Carolina at this point is the fact they finally got a quad one win with that win over Virginia. Um, and that was their first of the year. One and eight in quad one games. Duke is number 23. Duke only two and seven themselves in quad one games, which is why I don't understand when I look at some of these brackets out there, why Duke is, is where they are. I, I like, I'm looking at some Jerry Palms bracket. I don't understand. And I, this is gonna be very Maryland centric, but I just don't exactly understand why Jerry Palm has Duke as a six, but Maryland as an eight. I see those resumes as very similar. I think Maryland's is better to be quite honest, but that's neither here nor there. North Carolina needs a win against Duke. They have to have a win. Utah state in the mountain West, another bubble team. They are hosting Boise State. Utah State will be four-point favorite per Ken Palm. Boise State still fighting for a share of the Mountain West title. They cannot get the number one seed, but they can share the title with San Diego State. So a big one for both teams. Uh, Utah State, four-point favorite. I think that's a game they have to have. I think I'll be betting on Utah State minus four. We talked about the Sunday games in the Big Ten. Tons of bubble games there. And then just some games of interest I wanted to get to. So we touched on Villanova versus UConn a little bit already. Texas, number three, uh, Kansas, goes to number nine, Texas, 4 p.m. on Saturday. Per Ken Palm, Texas will be a two-point favorite. There was a chance for this game to be super meaningful, for this game to determine who the number one seed in the Big 12 tournament was. Uh, as it stands right now, Kansas has won the conference outright. They are 13 and 4. Texas is 11 and 6. No matter what happens, Kansas will be the outright Big 12 champion. But this game, uh, you know, is still meaningful. Per my for my money, I would actually have Kansas as the number 1 overall seed in the entire NCAA tournament right now. I know that might be a a, a bit of a off-the-wall take there, but I, I said it before. For my money, how you do in quad one games is the single most important thing you can tell me about a team when it comes to seeding or whether they, they should be in the tournament or not. Kansas is 15-5 and five in quad one games. Kansas has the most quad one wins of anybody in the country. Kansas has won as many quad one games as Houston has even played. So I still think there is a very real chance that Kansas could end up being the number one overall seed. And the reason that that is very meaningful is because if they are ahead of Houston, they will get that Midwest regional, which is in Kansas City. If Houston is ahead of them, I think Houston will probably end up in that Midwest regional in Kansas City. As far as Houston is concerned, there's no great regional site for them. It's either Louisville or, or Houston or uh, Louisville or Kansas City. I think Alabama ends up in Louisville as the number one seed in the South. So it, it's a big deal for Kansas. Kansas wins this game. Kansas runs the table in the Big 12 tournament. I don't. I, I do not see any way they could not be. I, I, they have to be the number one overall seed. 
winning this game would give them 16 quad one wins, three wins in the Big 12 tournament. I I would imagine they'd all be quad one wins. I mean, let's just make the assumption right now. That would put them at 19 and five in quad one wins. I don't see how you could not make that team. That, that team would have to be the number one overall seed. And you would have to put them in Kansas City. So it's a really big game for Kansas from that perspective. For Texas, I don't know how much it means really for them seeding-wise. I think they're in pretty decent shape as a number two seed. I don't really see anybody... I don't see them falling below that two line unless some really weird stuff happens. So I think this game is actually more impactful for Kansas than for Texas. The other game that I think is very interesting this weekend as far as the top end of the bracket is concerned is UCLA hosting Arizona 10 p.m. Saturday night. UCLA will be a seven-point favorite per Ken Palm. Talked a little about the seeding already, right? I think Kansas is locked into a number one seed. I think they have a chance to get the overall number one seed, but even if they lose out, that's a loss at number 10 in the net, Texas, and then either a loss against number 24, West Virginia, number 47, Oklahoma State, or number 52, Texas Tech, in the first round of the Big 12 tournament. I don't think losing those two games are is enough to knock them off that number one seed line, especially given the fact that I think to me, they should be the number one overall overall seed. So I think Kansas is locked in. I think Alabama is locked in. I I just don't see any way they fall off the number one seed line. I think the two teams that could fall off are Houston and Purdue. And I don't think Houston is very likely to fall off given that they're number one in the net. However, I do find their resume you know, with just the five quad one games, four and one in those quad one games, if they were to throw up a clunker in the American tournament, maybe they would be at risk. Purdue, I liken more to, to Kansas where they've played a lot of quad one games and they've done well in quad one games. They're nine and four in quad one games, uh, just like Alabama is. So I, I think all four of those teams are fairly safe, but if there were two that I think were more at risk, it would be Purdue and Houston. And Purdue is more just because they've played a lot of close games and they seem more susceptible to losing a bad one, to maybe losing to a Northwestern again in the in the quarterfinals of the Big Ten tournament. Maybe losing to Illinois is possible. Uh, combine that with UCLA uh, winning out. You know, they're a team that I mentioned is up to number two in Ken Palm now. They've won since losing back-to-back games to Arizona and USC in January. They've won nine games in a row. They could finish the regular season on a 10-game winning streak. If they went out there and won the the Pac-12, they could make a compelling case for a number one seed if Houston or Purdue were to falter here in the conference tournaments. I still tend to think it wouldn't be enough. But you know what? It might not matter anyway, because for UCLA, getting the number two seed in the West might be just as good as getting the number one seed. I mean, it's not a huge difference. They'll be, I think, at they'll be the top seed in the West, provided they win this game against Arizona and they take care of their business in the Pac-12 tournament. But being the number two seed in the West, I don't really see a huge difference for them. Um, they will almost assuredly go there and 
UCLA as a team, like I, I've been talking about how quad one wins are so important to me. Well, the Pac-12 just doesn't present a ton of opportunities for quad one games. I mean, UCLA is seven and four in quad one games, but it's not like the big 12 where Kansas is playing 20. I mean, Kansas has still played almost double the amount of quad one games as them. The last time these two teams, Arizona and UCLA played, Arizona got the win, but I really felt like it was UCLA's kind of game where they, they just didn't do like they controlled the tempo. I felt like it was the style of game they wanted to play. And I'm surprised that Arizona came out with the win in that game. I was impressed by Arizona's ability to lock down and focus defensively, but that's kind of the thing with Arizona. That's been my question with them all year long. It's like, can you apply that same focus, that same defensive focus and intensity that you showed against UCLA when you play Stanford, when you play Arizona State, when you play Washington State, when you play Utah? The answer to that has been no. But I expect Arizona to come out and put up a, a you know good performance again because they tend to focus when the stage is big and the, and the lights are bright. So UCLA, minus seven at home, I'm probably going to stay away from that. I, but I think it's going to be telling, like if UCLA can go out there and they can put it to Arizona, whether it can get them to that one line or not may not be as important as just UCLA hitting on all cylinders against good competition as they enter March. So this is going to be an unreal weekend of college basketball. There is so much going on on the men's side. We got the women's conference tournaments this weekend as well. We're going to be crowning conference champions there. Uh, that's There's a ton going on on the women's side of the sport as well. You know, if you're a Maryland fan, I know we got a lot of Maryland fans out there listening to this, this podcast. The Big Ten is... The Big Ten cannot be matched on the women's side, and, and Maryland is one of those top teams right there with Indiana and Iowa in that league. Just a ton of fun, so it's a great weekend to sit back. If you got a multiple TV setup, you're going to need it. Man, I really need to get one of those myself. So, you know, I talk it sometimes during football season about dragging TVs in the other room, making makeshift uh, multi-TV setups, what I have on TV 1, 2, and 3. I think this is a weekend where I'm going to have to drag the other TVs. I'm going to have to use my computer screens. I'm going to have to use my phone. So I'm going to need all the TVs that I can. But I would love to get that multi-TV setup. So tell a friend about the podcast. Rate it. Review it. Follow it so I can keep doing this. I can have my eyes on all the games at once with those multi-screens. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. And until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.